Hello and welcome back to Cover to Cover. Today I have with me Chiara Crisafulli, a poet born in Italy but based in Lisbon in Portugal. Hi Chiara. Hi Dan. Buongiorno a tutti. <laughs> Buongiorno. And today we're going to talk about Elena Ferrante's hugely successful novels, the Neapolitan novels, which trace the lives and the evolution of two friends, Lila and Lenu, born in a poor neighborhood of Naples in 1944. If it's okay with you, I'd prefer it if today we just limit ourselves to the first two books, My Brilliant Friend and The Story of a New Name. Is that okay with you? Yeah, of course. Uh, in Italian, we call them La Mia Amica Geniale, and Storia del Nuovo Cognome. Chiara, first question. Why are these books so great? For me, it's a mix of the characters and plot, but also it's about how the story is told. We follow the lives of two women, two friends, and if you take the span of the full four books, it goes from the moment they are very little until they grow old. Yeah, okay, but um, today let's just concentrate on the first two novels. Okay, so that takes us up to the time, they're about 25, when Lila is married but separated, and Lenou has just had their first novel accepted for publication. Uh, but in my opinion, it makes a difference that the narrator is an older woman with the capacity, the maturity, to look back and analyze in an honest way what happens in the whole span of, the, of their friendship. Okay, um, just to focus on the titles for a minute, I think most readers assume when they start reading the books that since uh, Eleanor Lenu is the narrator telling the story of her friend Leela, they assume that the brilliant friend, what well, I mean, I certainly did, they assume that the brilliant friend is Leela, but in fact... This is a phrase that Lila uses to describe Lenu, right? Yeah, and um, I assume the same thing. And it's an interesting question then. Who is really the brilliant friend? Because it seems to me that both of them are brilliant in their own personal way. Of or brilliant, we translate it in Italian, geniale, which means ingenious friend. Actually, that's interesting because... For me, the, the word brilliant makes me think about light, which is something that you kind of give off to others, whereas the word ingenious makes me think about intelligence. So I think for me, ingenious is more like seeing the women from the inside, whereas brilliant is more like their effect on other people. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Maybe it's a different way of looking at them. Okay, well, anyway, well, let's not get into a philosophical debate because I will very rapidly get lost. Um, <laughs> the second book is Storia del Nuovo Cognome, The Story of a New Name. Now, that title puzzled me a little because, I mean, obviously, Leela acquires a new name through her marriage to Stefano when she becomes Signora Caracci. But Eleanor also sort of acquires a new name don't you think? Because 
she becomes a published author. Therefore, she has a public name. And, you know, she's a published author who, in one sense, has kind of stolen the story of her friend. No, no, this isn't a stolen story. I think I think she is not she isn't plagiarizing. What happens is Leela wrote a story called The Blue Fairy when she was a kid. So that story had become a key or a seed uh, that grows in Lenu's consciousness and then in her novel. So I don't think she actually realizes that the Blue Fairy is an inspiration for her work until she has finished writing it. Yeah, fair enough, absolutely. Um, I was reading an article in Wikipedia about the books and there's a little paragraph about the themes of the novels. And honestly, it was <laughs> quite a surprise to me. They talk about the themes being women's friendships, competition within female friendships, female ambivalence about filial roles, about maternal roles, sexual and intellectual jealousy within female friendships. I mean, everything centered on the female friendship and the sort of female rivalry. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that those things aren't important in the books, but to me, the overwhelmingly central theme is toxic male behavior the toxicity of what you can call male power structures. Do you mm -hmm. agree? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I actually do, but probably the Wikipedia article was written by an Italian man. Have you thought about it? <laughs> Perfect. Okay. I mean, you know, Elena Ferranti has been really clear about this. You know, she said somewhere, I've got it written down, hang on, male power, whether violently or delicately imposed, is still bent on subordinating us, i.e. on subordinating women. I mean, for fuck's sake, she is an explicitly feminist writer, is she not? Uh, yeah, of course. Am I right in thinking that in Italy, feminism is maybe even more relevant in the South? Okay, so <laughs> it's a bit complicated. All right, so, you know, I grew up in a small town in the province of Palermo in Sicily. So I think it's impossible to use the word feminism in that context because to use that word, you have to be already aware of many things. So, I mean, there is so much dirt. Dirt? Dirt. Yeah, yeah. okay. There is so much dirt into everyone's mindset and behavior in relation to what it means to be a woman. And let me tell you, the worst thing, as we see in these books, is that very often women are the first ones to silently agree with it. So I remember that Lenou says in some part in book one, women fight among themselves more than men, pulling hair, hurting themselves. And fights among women are pretty scary, that's for sure. I'm, I'm not sure how a woman who wants to be free can actually live in the south of Italy. I admire the women who live there and still don't care and go their own way, like Lila does. Do you know what I mean? Uh, tell me more. <laughs> well, so what I mean is, even if there are many Lilas in the streets of Naples or Palermo, when you take the population as a whole, there is a huge difference between what you can do as a woman and what you can do as a man, but not in terms of civil rights, but rather what people actually think. You know, 
in terms of everyday culture. You, you mean in terms of what is normal behavior in the group in which you live? So, yeah, exactly. The saddest thing is that when you're among people who have status, so people with status, people who are very different from the ones in Lila's and Lenu's neighborhood, there is still this recurring theme. A woman has some duties that culturally she inherits from her mother. So it's something, you know, because you learn it in your environment. And this is something I also have noticed in other cultures which are from the south of the world. So I don't think this only applies to the south of Egypt. Yeah, sure. Would you say there are um, some parallels between the life that you knew in Sicily as a kid and the life that Lila and Lenu have in Naples back in the 1950s and 1960s? Yeah, um, the same kind of power structures. Um, my family environment was very different from the one in my brilliant friend. In our household, my mom and my dad were always studying. But let me tell you a little story. I was maybe five or six years old. Uh, it was summertime and as usual, we were playing in the street. A man in his 40s parked his car right beside us. He got out and all the other kids rushed to kiss him on the cheek. So I was the only one who did not kiss him. And he walked up to me saying, And you? Don't you know who I am? Why don't you kiss me? And <laughs> I replied, I don't know who are you and I don't kiss strangers. So when I went home, and I told this story to my parents, I still remember my dad gave me a long, long speech about what does it mean to lock the door at night and go to sleep without worries because you don't need to say thanks to anyone. Okay, well, um, okay, just let, let me make sure I understand this. So your dad was saying that it was important not to be beholden to someone like this mafia guy i mean do, do you know this word beholden <laughs> actually maybe i read it somewhere no. it's an old word it means not to owe something to somebody is, is that what your dad was saying that he didn't want you to be a a part of that whole system yeah exactly so my parents didn't want me to acquire that mindset they were very strict on this subject and it wasn't just that they showed no interest in mafia personalities. It was really about this idea of being free. So, of course, in Ferrante novels, the attitude of Lenu's dad is the opposite. He publicly acknowledges Don Achille, for example. He shows respect to him in public. Right. And that freedom is like freedom to be able to pursue your own path in life, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell me, what do you remember about the role of women in your childhood town in Sicily. How do you mean? Well, I mean, still on the subject of power structures. I mean, at one point in the story, Lenu says, um, I saw clearly the mothers of the old neighbourhood. They were nervous. They were acquiescent. They were silent with tight lips and stooping shoulders. Or they yelled terrible insults at the children who harassed them. Extremely thin, with hollow eyes and cheeks, or with broad behinds, swollen ankles, heavy chests. They lugged shopping bags and small children who clung to their skirts and wanted to be picked up. And good God, they were ten, at most twenty years older than me. 
it's a pretty depressing picture, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, when I was a kid in the early 1990s, most of the women in our town, I remember, they stayed at home. Uh, they were mainly housewives. I remember when I was in primary school that I was one of the few who had a working mother. And, uh, you know, in Italian we have this word, rione, which is kind of like a mini neighborhood within the borders of the rione. The law is not a written thing. It's men like Don Achille who are the law. So a very different place from where teacher Galliani lives, for example. You remember her? Yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, did you go to university in Sicily? Yeah, in Palermo. Uh, I moved from our little town into the city. And actually, I lived for two years in a rione similar to the one that Lenu and Nila live in. And at the time, I was in a relationship with a man from that area. And of course, I got to know his family. And then he got arrested. Really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I ended up traveling to different prisons in the region. Different prisons? Yeah, I have quite a good knowledge about that. <laughs> also, it was an abusive relationship. So there are many things about the books that really distressed me, that brought me back to that life that I experienced at the time. It's a version of myself that doesn't exist anymore. And among many things, the books brought back an awful feeling I had at the time, an awareness that when you move in that kind of reality, you do not own your life. And for one thing, I think it's the lack of practical freedom. For example, you glance at a guy in a bar and your boyfriend starts a fight with a knife in his hand, or even worse, you can get beaten up in seconds just because you looked in the wrong direction. And it's not just that, it's the certainty that you are doomed for life. I think it's a little bit like when Lenou says at the beginning of book one, you could die of things that seemed absolutely normal. In this kind of environment, abused isn't seen as something bad. It's an educational tool. Oh, you're making me think about that asshole Stefano. <laughs> yeah, someone like him. Chiara, just a question about language. I mean, you read these books in Italian, of course. I had to read them in, in translation. But thinking about language, in the course of these, these four novels, Lenu acquires a very educated Italian, but many of the characters speak in Neapolitan dialect. In the Italian version of the books that you read, how are the dialect passages represented in the text? Does the author use dialect words or is the whole text written in standard Italian? Actually, there are not many passages in dialect, and personally I like it, because not every Italian can understand the dialect from Naples. Are there any particular dialect words that immediately come to mind? <laughs> well, yeah, the first one that comes to mind is a coarse word, akelustrunz, <laughs> which means literally that piece of shit. Okay, so moving on from shitheads, uh, you remember that scene in book one where Lila and Lenu decide to play hooky. In other words, they decide to skip school. They tell their parents a lie and they miss school and instead they set out on an adventure to go beyond the neighbourhood and as far as the sea. You remember they walk through a tunnel, but then Lila starts to get 
uneasy. She turns back while Linu is the one who wants to go on. Yeah, and I remember and I was struck by Lila's behavior because she's the badass and the idea to go the coast was hers. But then what does she do? There is a downpour, so it starts raining and she turns around, looks back. She's suddenly uneasy, as if the rain had woken her up. Meanwhile, the shy, fearful Enu says that she would have continued, and she discovers for the first time the distance extinguished in her every tie and every worry. Yes, that's right. You know, there's a phrase that, one of my personal pet phrases, I've been saying this for decades, which is family is both a platform and a prison. And what I mean by that is that, you know, obviously family can be a kind of a springboard for you. It helps you with contacts. It, it, it obviously gives you comfort, but it gives you opportunities. It can be a kind of a launch pad. But in another sense, I think that family can hold you back. It can bind you into relationships that you can't escape. It can imprison you. It can put expectations on you that cramp you, that take away your freedom. Do, do you think this kind of idea applies to these books? Well, to me, Lila is a product of her environment, but she's also able to go beyond it and establish her own rules. So I see her as a visionary and she doesn't care what people think of her. So we can see this in the way she experiences the engagement, for example, or the affair with Nino, as well as the way she deals with the Solara brothers. But even when she was just a little girl, and this is where, in my opinion, she really stands out, uh, is that she understands her relatives emotionally. She understands how her conversation about the shoes and being wealthy influenced her brother, Rino. She isn't angry with the father when he throws her through the window, so she can understand him. Lenou is different. She feels like an alien in a Riona. A, a what? An alien? An alien. Yeah? Yeah, because she's constantly dreading becoming like her mother. Exactly. I remember she, she's always listening to her mum kind of limping, right? And uh, thinking, oh my God, this is what happened to me and yeah. my legs will drop <laughs> off. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for example, even though she admires her, her father, um, especially when he took her on a tour of the city before she started her gymnasio, she really wanted to become part of that educated group of people that Nino and the Gallianis and then afterwards the Airotas belong to. So both of them, I think, in their own ways, they outgrow their families. But family is more a prison for Lenu. Yeah, I mean, I see it a little differently. For me, the thing is that Lenu escapes. You know, her great merit is that she does get out. She goes to pizza to the... Pizza. Pizza. The scuola normale. What, uh, you know, what I mean is by dint of hard work and study and perseverance and, of course, her writing, she is able to breach the limits of the neighborhood, just like she tried to when they, when they went through the tunnel. But Leela doesn't get out. I mean, the way I see it, Leela realizes right from that day where they made the abortive attempt to get out of the neighborhood that her destiny will be forever framed by that neighborhood with its limits, its violence, its 
toxic male-dominated culture. You remember the scene at the very beginning of book one when the two of them are playing in the courtyard with their dolls and Leela deliberately drops Lenu's doll down the grate. Isn't that a great scene? Yeah. Yeah, it is, because when Lenu drops the doll down into the cellar, she's basically doing something which is the opposite of who she is. She's being a bad girl. So basically she's emulating Leela. Yeah. Then, if you remember, they go down to the cellar together and suddenly it's like they are equal. So Leela shows her usual fearless attitude in entering the darkness, that mess, but later she and Lenu will go up the stairs hand in hand to meet Don Achille, the ogre who even the adults don't have the courage to face. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly testing their courage. We have an expression in English, to plumb the depths, P-L-U-M-B, to plumb the depths. I mean, Leela definitely plums the depths. <laughs> and listen, on that note, Chiara, let's end this first conversation. Listeners, please tune in to the second half of this conversation in the next episode. <laughs>